in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Chad Robinson. Joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Lizzie Haynes. Lizzie, <laughs> how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? Excited to be here. I am clearly under the weather. We are going to edit all kinds of things, but I will leave in the fact that I have messed up Lizzie's name about six times. So my little six-year-old Petri, petri dish brought home a unknown disease that uh, tests haven't figured out. So I am recovering if I sound a little more nasally. Pardon me for that. But I am excited. This is my excited voice because we have a new guest. Lizzie, Lindsay, uh, however you pronounce the last name, too, because Russell has written it many different ways. We have a guest from Lizzie. <laughs> Joining us today is Leah Weissman from Louisville, Kentucky. How are you doing, Leah? Hi, Chad. Uh, I think I'm doing a lot better than you are. But yes. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is any given day. Well, Leah, we, we like to play a game before we get into our movie of the day. So we ask a couple of warm-up questions. We are going to be covering a movie with lots of fantasy and fairy tales. What is something from a movie that isn't real, but you wish was? It could be a place, artifact, object, plant, animal, something else. The Time Turner from Harry Potter for 10 Alex. Thank you. <laughs> I wish I were nerdy enough to know what that is. I don't get into this. Oh my gosh, you, oh, you like don't know it. what that is? I forgot. You don't watch Harry Potter. Uh, it's basically I, yes. just this little charm that they can use to go back in time. Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. I can also say the TARDIS if that makes you feel better. It, it helps. I don't watch Doctor Who either. Oh, I, I'm having to turn in my nerd card right here. I know. I've uh, nerded you in the first five minutes. Yes. Yes. Uh, DeLorean. <laughs> you want a DeLorean. Okay. I want a DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> Lizzie, what do you want? I put Narnia. To me, I would absolutely love to have a secret world that I can reach in the back of my closet where I can meet Mr. Tomness and see God depicted in the form of a giant lion and possibly avoid the White Witch. But altogether, I'm, I'm here for a magical land in my closet. Maybe really want Turkish delights, Turkish but I've <laughs> actually eaten them now, and I do not want them. No, they're not that good. No. Oh, that's disappointing. That was <laughs> that was the first thing that came into my mind was Turkish delights, and then Reaper Cheap. Got to meet meet Reaper Cheap. Yes. I I just want a Mogway. I really, really badly. I want a little gizmo that I promise I will not feed after midnight, whatever that entails, whatever time zone rules, and I will do my best not to get wet. Ever, but I want I want Gizmo. So. It's a pretty dangerous choice. You never know what you're gonna get with one of those. But they are very cute. Yes, they're adorable. What is the last movie you saw, Leah? Smile. 
Excellent. We've we've talked a lot about that. Did you like it? I did. It was it was a solid movie. It's not something I think I would rewatch like Candyman, but uh, I appreciated it. You've got to watch Candyman at least five times. <laughs> yes. Lizzie, what's the last movie you saw? I watched Candyman. I my kids were napping, and I I don't know why. I just decided I was going to go for it. I wanted to watch the. Uh, the newer 2021 version, and I'd already seen it before. I would define that. I know Russell at one point was trying to get me to define what cozy horror was, and I would say the Jordan Peele version falls under that category, where it's not very scary, it's thrilling, and then I can move on with my life after. So it was a great cozy horror movie for an 11 o'clock in the afternoon watch. I love cozy horror. Co- I like the... Yeah, cozy horror. Yeah. Yes, things to watch while your children sweetly sleep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, I I watched a superhero movie. I saw the new Black Adam. I am, I'm a big fan of the comic book character, very familiar. So the movie didn't go over as well for me. This is more of a Dwayne the Rock Johnson type character. Dwayne plays himself, and that's cool too. It's a fun popcorn flick if you're deep into the lore and familiar with Shazam, uh, Captain Marvel, those type movies, not the Marvel version of the DC. This may not hit the right note for you, but... If you're just looking for an enjoyable film, I mean, The Rock's always a good time, so check it's, it's that out. It's always hard when you're a big fan of the reading material. Yeah. It, it's common to be disappointed. Yeah. I mean, just give him the ears, if nothing else. Like, I understand The Rock's bald. You don't have to give him the weird <laughs> hair. Just the, just the ears. It's not too much to ask. Did he do the big eyebrow move at any point during the movie? Uh, he did not give the people's eyebrow. I mean, there was a slight raise, but the there was plenty of SmackDown going on. So yeah. I, I will give him that. Lizzie, what movie are we doing today? We are doing 2001's Shrek. Okay. Somebody once told me about this movie. It stars Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, and John Lithgow. Release year, Russell is setting me up for failure. It says 2005. This is clearly 2001. And I'm now curious if any of this other information is correct. I'm going to read it. <laughs> I'm going to read it anyways because it was provided and it's in front of me. $60 million budget. Gross is $267 million. Place in the box office that year is number three. It is behind The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. I can't believe that these were the same year. And it places uh, ahead of Monsters, Inc. What a year. And the number one movie is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. IMDb gives this a 7.9%. Rotten Tomatoes critics like it. 88% and the audience likes it a little more. It's at 90%. It is an Academy Award winner. I saw this and it's the first ever Academy Award winner for Best Animated Feature. It's nominated. uh, It was the first animated film to be nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Golden Globes nominee, Best Motion Picture for Musical or Comedy. BAFTA for an Adapted Screenplay. Uh, six other nominations for Best Film. Eddie Murphy became the first actor to ever receive a BAFTA nomination for voiceover, Best Visual Effects, Sound, and Music. 
And the awards keep coming. AFI 2008 Top 10 Animated Movies at number 8. And nominated for uh, Top 100 Movies. And 100 Heroes and Villains for Shrek. And 100 Songs for Smash Mouth's cover of Neil Diamond's I'm a Believer. This is also, and I have to throw this out there because this is just strange, is the third movie on this podcast we've covered that heavily features Smash Mouth's All-Star. <laughs> we are millennials, right? Yes. So, like, we, we come by it honestly. Uh, we are short the Digimon movie, but we have covered <laughs> Rat Race and Mystery Men, but this is the movie that really, really makes Smash Mouth's All-Star just uh, into the cultural meme that it is today. Chef's kiss. Yes, exactly. Leah, we will start with you. Had you seen 2001 Shrek? If you did, did you like it back then? What were your expectations coming back to it now? Oh, yeah. I, I saw this in the theater. I was probably 12, 11 or, yeah, 12. I just recall finding all the crass jokes so, so funny. I remember sitting in, like, seventh grade math, like, repeating some of the jokes. I remember we all thought that the Muffin Man interrogation thing was just, like, elite comedy. It still is, yes. (laughs) Um, We thought that was just incredibly funny. So, loved it as a kid. I've watched it. I've come back to this movie many times. Um, If it's on TV, it's like one of those that you kind of just will sit down and watch. You know, that's like up there with Forrest Gump for me. You can sit down and watch it. I mean, you know it well enough, you can sit down at any point and really enjoy it. Um, So when I came back to watch it a little bit more critically this time, I still really liked it. And I'm not going to lie, I did laugh at the fart jokes. but um, (laughs) As we all did. uh, The You know, just the different angles as an older person. And you get kind of tired of the cliches. And this was just such an epitome of a fractured fairy tale. And and the whole story with um, Fiona, you know, really resonated with me as a grown up person who found found love. And it's, you know, it maybe is not like a Prince Charming situation where you do what you're supposed to do. But yeah, still loved it. So you're saying the movie is like an onion. It's like an onion. It has <laughs> yeah. many layers. Or like a parfait. Yes, not yes. a parfait. Everybody likes a parfait. Yes. I'm not going to lie. I actually don't like parfaits, but I love that line. I really appreciate that I line. do love a good onion, though. I love an onion. Yeah. <laughs> Lizzie, did you, have you seen Shrek? And if if you did, did you enjoy it like you will love a good onion? Yeah, yes. I have a really similar story to Leah. We're the same age. So I was in the exact same position as far as being in middle school, going and seeing it in the theaters. I was coming off of the high of Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. And I <laughs> remember like I still to this day have inside jokes with my family about a certain Scottish hitman. I'm not going to say his name just because I don't know if we're if it's child friendly, but um, but he's large and he was born mm-hmm. out of wedlock. Yep. <laughs> and so, and so we uh, we absolutely love like still truly to this day we're like get in my belly and so we loved that movie and so when we saw the previews for Shrek we knew we were going to go see it and. It honestly like completely rocked our world. Like it took over the cultural zeitgeist. I just remember sitting in class and everybody had memorized the little puppet, like welcome to oh, yeah. yes. and uh 
And like, I actually remember the line of really, really kind of got added into our regular vernacular. And like, it really truly took over our cultural zeitgeist. Like at the, that particular time, you know, like I'm like 12 or 13. So I'm like big in my butterfly clip phase. And like, you're at that cusp where you're still young enough to really appreciate fairy tales but old enough that you want something that still has like a little grit to it that you can, you know, makes you feel a little bit older, you're craving kind of more teenage things at that time. So this was the perfect hybrid, I think, for kids our age. And now as adult millennials, it's so much fun to go back and revisit. I hadn't watched it in a while. So to me, this was like just such a fun, nostalgic ride. Well, y'all are just going to keep throwing your youth in my face. I <laughs> I was older. I was in high school. So, yeah, I I saw this in theaters. I had friends that worked in theaters. And the best part of friends that work at theaters is you get in for free. And so we would just see anything and everything. Sometimes that's a blessing. Sometimes it's a curse. But you know what? It was free. It was something to do. And this movie surprised me. I was not. I was a teenage boy so animation was really not something that that wasn't my go-to so this this kind of changed my opinion on a lot of things it came up on the podcast very very early on as one of our short list items and russell passed it over and i'll be honest i still haven't forgiven him so <laughs> i i'm very grateful to leah for shortlisting this so this huge burden can be lifted off the show like there's there's been this palpable tension between Russell and myself for missing out on Shrek. So we finally get to cover this. Uh, as far as holding up these movies, same with Austin Powers, you mentioned those. It, it does have the problem that it kind of parodies its time. A lot of the jokes are timeless, but then there's one or two you're like, yeah, it was funny in 2001 when we were much closer to the source material. So maybe some of that hasn't aged as well. And poor All-Star like, I'm not going to hate on Smash Mouth too much, but the that got memed into oblivion. So I just, I feel a little bad. Like, you hear the song. I'm like, I, I still kind of dig it. I'll defend it. But I understand if you're, uh, like, your palm is on your forehead, just like, oh, not not making the shape of an L, just <laughs> exasperated. So. Yes. That, that song um, was everywhere. I know literally every single word to it. And yeah. I actually called that the best supporting actor of this movie it truly (laughs) is yes it is truly truly i mean that because i remember smash mouth had the walking on the sun that was the song that i remember from them and it seemed to me at least that they disappeared and so i feel like at least in my world there was such a resurgence for them and then i think it's kind of almost like that song that they use for the friends theme song yeah um how it's like that band in and of itself probably would have disappeared had it not been for the fact that it was chosen for for the sitcom friends no offense to that band poor rembrandt the rembrandt thank you thank you (laughs) um but i i feel like this elevated smash mouth as a band and kind of cemented them into pop culture history yeah it's so weird it was at the front of mystery man which came out two years earlier but that movie just was ignored by everyone except our podcast. Incredible so, movie, though. So if you're a fan of Mystery Men or just fan of movies where All Star is featured, check out that episode. <laughs> We've got you covered. It's a very niche interest. Yeah. <laughs> very this, much is, this is the crowd we cater to. 
And if you don't want to hear any more spoilers, check out this movie. If you haven't seen Shrek, it's a great movie. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then Lizzie's going to break down what happens. So we will be right back. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we're back. Last warning before Lizzie ruins this movie for you. If you haven't seen Shrek or just want to catch back up on what happens in the swamp, put us on pause. Go check it out. Otherwise, Lizzie, break it down for us. All right. So the movie opens with Shrek, a big green ogre living in a swamp alone and enjoying his everyday life outside of the town of Duloc, a town in which fairy tale creatures and humans live in harmony for now. Duloc's infamously vertically challenged leader, Lord Farquaad, has evicted all fairy tale creatures. While on a stroll alone in the woods, Shrek runs into a talking donkey who is desperate for companionship. Shrek tries his best to push Donkey away, but gives in and allows him to sleep one night in his swamp. Shrek then discovers that all of the evicted fairy tale creatures have found refuge in his swamp. A furious Shrek decides to confront Lord Farquaad and demand his swamp back. Meanwhile, Farquaad is eager to elevate his status from lord to king and must marry to do so. He chooses Princess Fiona as his bride-to-be and decides to host a duel to find the bravest knight to rescue her from the highest room of the tallest tower, guarded by a dragon. Shrek arrives in time for the duel and emerges victorious. Shrek and Donkey go on a quest to rescue Fiona, and upon doing so, Fiona is horrified to learn that her savior is an ogre, not Prince Charming, to sweep her off her feet and share true love's first kiss. The three of them journey back to Duloc, and along the way, Shrek realizes that he's misjudged the princess as she belches, she eats rats, and she can hold her own in a fight. Shrek finds himself falling for her and she for him, yet neither of them can admit their feelings. Upon nightfall, they camp out, and it's revealed to Donkey that Fiona has a secret. As a girl, a witch cast a spell upon her, and until she receives true love's first kiss, every night she herself will turn into an ogre. Donkey tries to convince her to tell Shrek, but she cannot bring herself to accept her truth. Shrek overhears their discussion and assumes that they are discussing him as a hideous ogre, not Fiona's own self-hatred. At dawn, Shrek has delivered Lord Farquaad to Fiona as they prepare for their nuptials. Before they say I do, Shrek has a revelation that although he cannot change that he is an ogre, he still has love to give, and he breaks up the wedding. Fiona is so overcome with Shrek's declaration that she rushes to Shrek, and they share true love's first kiss. It's then that she takes her true form as an ogre, and they live happily ever after. So you could say he saw her face 
and now he's a believer. He's a believer. <laughs> Love that song. So that's that's great. So yeah, Leah kind of touched on my first order of business here early on. Shrek opens so sweetly. It's this fairy tale book, and then it is literally flushed down a toilet, and we we get a shot of an outhouse, and that's our tone from then on out and shrek is crass and he's crude and he's got a good heart though so when you first saw shrek and probably you're like me your experience is coming off of maybe like a lilo and stitch or or other disney types that were coming out out of the golden age of disney where we've got uh We've Lion King, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. All of those are just boom, 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 all in the 90s. What did what did Shrek do for you as far as, like, was, was this a big shock? I think it was definitely a big shock in the fact that thinking that it's going to be a fairy tale. And Shrek is really, truly an anti-hero. And for me, at least, this is my first introduction to a character like that. He probably is why I have such an affinity for for likable villains in the sense that an ogre is traditionally considered a villain, but he has a heart of gold, and so you find yourself rooting for him. And he's, you're right, and he's funny and he's gross, but that's kind of all a part of his charm at the end of the day. You know, the interesting thing is, I don't think it bothered me so much as a kid because the fart jokes were funny, but what I noticed <laughs> watching it this time was he wasn't necessarily motivated by any kind of altruism at the start. No. So everyone invades his swamp. He hates people. He doesn't want anyone to bother him anymore. You don't really know a whole lot about him. And he goes, and when he negotiates with Lord Farquaad, he doesn't negotiate on behalf of any other people that got displaced. He just says, you'll give me my swamp back as is, and you're going to remove everyone from it. And he's like, yeah. And the squatters. Yeah. And the, yeah. And so <laughs> it's he, kind of more Borat, but yeah. <laughs> It's okay. We're, we're, we'll blow past it for you. I appreciate the effort. But um, yeah, definitely an anti-hero, but he kind of like finds his place, you know, yes. throughout the movie, which is kind of part of the true story, finding acceptance. Did either of you grow up reading the books? No. no? I did look up some of it. Supposedly the story is pretty different, but yeah. a bunch of awards for the illustrations and stuff. Yeah, I, I can remember second grade, I did a book report on Shrek. So I, when this movie came up, I it's, it is, it's very different. There is a talking donkey, but it's it's heavily featured in an evil witch. And they kind of thought about going that direction. But yeah, for, for me, like I said, this was just such a surprise for me. I I expected sweets and saccharin, and it does have some of the sweetness to it, but it's got Eddie Murphy laugh out loud funny to it, and you know he did his shtick as Mushu in Milan, but it's it's just different here. I don't think I was ever used to hearing jokes with. I mean it it's meant to sound like profanity, but they keep referring to donkey as an ass and it, it comes up a lot and you're like oh okay that's kind of clever you can do that and just saw the saw the humor even with a do lock they're they're clearly going, yes wipe your yeah. face stay yeah. off the grass wipe your and they all bend over <laughs> face yeah so there there was a lot of that even as 
a slightly older gentleman uh, than you two ladies uh, at the time. I was still pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, okay, I'm I'm here for this. I'm here for the gross out. I like a character pulling earwax out of his ears and making a candle out of it. Like that's the right kind of disgusting. And every hero needs a good sidekick. How many sidekicks are there that are better than Donkey? And is this Eddie Murphy's best role? Hot take there. I don't know. Mushu was pretty good. I love Mushu. I will agree. But I think Donkey is the best. I think he's just the... Ha Malolo, <laughs> no way beside me. And like the, he has this one amazing line because he's so excited that Shrek has finally let him in. And I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, you and I can stay out and talk about manly things. And in the morning, I'm making waffles. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's just so, and he is truly the antithesis of what Shrek is. You know, Leo was saying that, you know, Shrek is very self-serving and Donkey is the exact opposite. You know, Donkey is, sweet and loving and he just wants companionship and friendship and even later when donkey is the one that's offended by shrek's behavior he's very quick to forgive him he's like that's what friends do we forgive each other so in a lot of ways he's kind of the jiminy cricket of the swamp you know just acting as that conscience that shrek lacks he's he's kind of like i feel like every introvert gets assigned an extrovert yes. in their life and <laughs> yes. uh, this this relationship is like the epitome of that. Yeah. So donkey drags him through a bunch of stuff. And it almost seems like through a series of pushing and being oblivious, he like forces his way in with Shrek. And I've definitely lived that life as an extrovert with being surrounded by introverts. Sometimes you just have to ignore the little ways they push you away. And eventually they let you in. Just wear them down. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Are there, there's a couple at our church that is very like this, and it just, uh, the, the sweet, sweet woman is at an 11 all the time, and she helps out with children, which is perfect for her, and it just reminds me of Donkey, of go, 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 and her husband is a very kind, caring person, but his energy is about where mine is most days. I'm like, how does this work? But I guess in Shrek form, it also works. Like, I love Donkey's energy. It's frenetic. It's his his owner or whoever that was the old lady that's trying to sell him she's like he never stops talking and, of course, <laughs> and, and that's the least amount of uh lines he has while on screen until he starts flying and he starts he gets the tinkerbell fairy dust and starts flying away but yeah he's as far as eddie murphy he considers this some of his best work and we covered Beverly Hills Cop, love Beverly Hills Cop, but to me, he's he's kind of, he's Donkey, he's the voice of Donkey for me, I just, I love this character so, so very much, I love the animations that they did, they said they modeled him after a dog and a rabbit, he does the little dog circle thing on the chair all the time oh, yeah. before he lays yeah. down, it's just like, okay, he's, he's the golden retriever that's happy when you're home, who's just assumed you'd been hit by a car or something when you're gone for five minutes like he's just so excited for <laughs> everything there's that comedian that's like my kids go nuts for bubbles i wish i could get that excited about anything yes, <laughs> yes. 
That's yeah, there's he, you can tell that there are parts they let him ad lib too, like um, when he kind of charms the dragon. <laughs> and Shrek comes in and he's like trying to get her to stop. She's kind of harassing her a little bit and he's like, wait, that's my tail. That's my personal tail. <laughs> that is unwanted physical yeah. contact. Yes. <laughs> that, that made, I watched this movie with Aaron. We both laughed out loud at that scene. <laughs> he, he did ad lib the, oh, she's just as nasty as you because Cameron Diaz had burped and she drank a Coke, I think it was, and she burped on set. And that was his ad lib of, <laughs> oh, she's just as nasty as you. So, so yeah, I, I have to imagine there's just hours of unused Eddie Murphy lines, and I kind of want it. This movie, we'll we'll talk about it later, but it has a lot of unused. It went through a lot, kind of like Frozen, where it's just reworked uh, a lot of tragic things went on behind the scenes before we get this great movie uh, what i do want to talk about now though is our damsel in distress or maybe she's not so in distress she's just needs to be away from a dragon it's fiona we find out she is really pretty capable she is well i mean she is she's the female shrek we just don't know it yet. She is more than meets the eye. So were there any subtle actions? We'll start with you, Leah. Subtle actions or traits from Fiona that made her stand out to you, even as you're going back and reviewing this? Um, you know, when you, when you first meet her and she's kind of shocked that Shrek isn't treating her like the Prince Charming, ready to, to whisk her away, like sweep her off her feet and carry carry her down you know and she's immediately like stop you're not following the rules <laughs> you're not like, doing you're it right to do all these things and she goes you didn't slay the dragon he goes, it's on my to-do list Let's go. <laughs> she's an enneagram one yeah so she's um you can tell that she kind of has this way she thinks her life is supposed to go and i mean we can all relate to that we are like none of this is happening the way i wanted this oh, to yeah. happen but you kind of start to see her open up a little bit. I think finally when he throws her over his shoulder and he's like, we're going, you're, I'm delivering you. And then Donkey is talking to her about love life stuff and she's commiserating with him. You kind of see she actually does have a personality and she's not just like a, a damsel in the, in the tower. So probably when you get her out of talking about the thing she thinks is supposed to happen is when you start to see she's like a real person. Obviously when she beats the crap out of Robin hood and his merry men, you start yeah. to realize yeah. she's pretty capable. I love that Cameron Diaz got so into that scene because she just come off of, I think it was Charlie's angels, but yeah. she, she was moving around and knocking things over and she started yelling in Cantonese and they're like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta dial that back a little bit. <laughs> I can see her doing that for sure. I think it was, I don't know if this is true or not, but the, it's Hollywood rumor that she had at one point in her contract. So like she has to do at least one dance move in like every single movie, because there's so many movies that she's in where she's dancing, like, you know, in the mask and like every Charlie's angels movie that she's in. And like, literally, I mean, I could go like something about Mary, you could go yeah. down the list. She's dancing in almost everything she does. So I am not surprised at all to hear that she got, super physical with with her animation yeah yeah second movie she has where she falls in love with a guy with a green face that's right, <laughs> that's right. It's like i'd have half two nickels but it's weird yeah, that it happened twice yeah lizzie what do you think of fiona 
I loved her. I think in a lot of ways she's kind of the representation of the audience in the sense that, you know, we're all expecting a fairy tale. You know, we've all um, already explained how in a lot of ways we had judged the book by its cover going and expecting a traditional Disney-like movie. And so, you know, in the beginning, she's like, I've got my, you know, take this as a token of my gratitude. And she's going through the whole uh, mural of the Disney princess thing and mm-hmm. acting as as such. And then she slowly kind of unfolds that and realizes, okay, wait, like, like Leah said, she's like, this isn't happening the way that I wanted it to happen. And I'm so confused. And so in a lot of ways, she's kind of almost the personification of how the audience is supposed to feel as they watch the movie. And then as the movie progresses, you start to see her actual personality and she's warming up to Shrek almost at the exact same time that we are. So for that, in that aspect of Fiona, I I really enjoy her Um, as a, just a character. I think she's great because Shrek is the anti-hero and she's kind of the anti-princess in the sense that, Yes, she's beautiful and she acts all in all the right ways in the very beginning. But who she truly is on the inside is messy, just like everybody else. And she's, you know, she's not afraid to hide that at the very end. She just leans in. Yeah. Yeah. She commits murder in this movie. She, <laughs> she, <laughs> you do what you have to do. Yeah. You see Robin Hood's head. I mean, this flew over my head as a kid, but you see Robin Hood like slam into that rock. And Aaron and I have this inside joke that anytime in a movie where someone falls or does anything that would result in death, we just look at each other and we're like, that's death right there. Oh, and we do that too. Yeah. We were watching like Captain America and he's swinging that shield around. We were like, one, two, three, four, five, yes, six, you're seven. Like, death. Death. That is Nine death, death right, right there. there. This is like a massacre right now. Yes, you will not survive this head wound. And so like when Robin Hood slams down, Aaron and I are both like, that's death. <laughs> well, I was talking about the the bird's mother, but yes. Oh yes, oh, she <laughs> was more upset about her the exploding bird. Yes, that that scene is a little screwed up. I will admit. I mean, it, that's a little um a little much. And then she cooks the eggs. Right. Yeah. The I mean, babies. That's like the, the how she is though. You think she's one way? This beautiful so lilting true. song of a person, yeah. but she's actually aggressive and grating, and she will eat your eggs after yeah. you're dead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, they wouldn't have thrived anyway without a mother. That's right. So might as well eat them. This movie is very cruel to animal mothers. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, the the three bears. Yes. Mama bear is dead, too. She's a rug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Lord Farquaad's, like, zebra animal bachelor pad. They blow yeah. up the... Um the frog and the snake and yeah. give them to each other's yeah. balloon. Bre- Brett and I had this running theory, this whole movie, by the way, because at the beginning, Shrek does something, and I think Donkey tells him he's got bad breath. And Brent was like, what do you think's in his breath? And I was like, methane, like making a joke. <laughs> and then when they blow up the balloons and the balloons like float, Brent was well, like, you your methane theory holds up. <laughs> yeah. I was like, there Who you knew? go. The secret, secret fact for you. There you go. Swamp methane. So it checks out. And no fairy tale is complete without an awesome villain. And this has to be one of my favorite named villains, which went over my wife's head forever. And I had to explain to her what Lord Farquaad was <laughs> trying to be. He he's not a, it's not only a great name, but he's mimicking other great parody villains like Dark Helmet from Spaceballs. He's mm-hmm. he's got the compensation issue a stature problem yes yes Yes. 
which is fantastic because they got John Lithgow to play him, and John Lithgow is six foot four. He's one of the tallest <laughs> actors in all of Hollywood. So John Lithgow's like, uh, it, uh, is this your idea of a joke? Like, was this written because I'm so tall? And I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't find if that was the original one. But a lot of times movies like this really hinge on having a good villain or someone that you can really hate. Is Farquaad a good foil to Shrek? Yeah. I mean, he's everything that Shrek isn't. He's short. He's haughty. He likes everything clean, perfect, and exact. He wants to be worshipped by everybody. And Shrek wants to be left alone. He's disgusting. And at the end, you know, he's he's caring and he's got a heart of gold. So totally different motivations from every aspect, for sure. Yeah, I think that... I mean, looking at him as a villain, because you, you honestly, I feel like, don't get enough time with him to really... To, to really be able to absorb him in the way that I wish I could. But what made him such an amazing villain and so perfect was not even so much his motives. It was just the way that he went about things, his mannerisms, <laughs> his overall personality, like him talking to the mirror, you know, choosing his bachelorettes and, of course, like the infamous gingerbread scene. And he's just, you know, John Lithgow played him so brilliantly because, I, I would assume that John Lithgow is actually a very confident man because I think it would take confidence to play insecurity. Mm. And he plays his insecurity so perfect. I mean, he really does personify that little man syndrome <laughs> so epically. <laughs> it's just a 10 out of 10. Like, he's hilarious. I The only problem I ever found with this movie was that there wasn't enough Lord Farquaad. John Lithgow is... He's a gift. He is. Yes. He is a renaissance actor. I absolutely adore him. I mean, from Third Rock from the Sun, mm-hmm. hilarious. Yes. Harry and the Hendersons to Dexter. Dexter. Yes. Yeah. And the character he plays in Dexter is just so Epic. different, you know, but he's he's just he's an incredible actor, but he's so, so funny. Yeah, I was a big Third Rock from the Sun fan when this came out, so yeah. Hearing that voice, I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Dick Solomon is just an all-time great character. <laughs> so funny. Yes. So, so Lord Lord Farquaad is just, he's so, I guess, self-conscious that he's going to control everything around him. I love his people going around with the little cue cards, telling everyone what to do. Applause. Yes. There's, like, touched silence yes. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like reverence. <laughs> yeah, and just... Even even after Fiona is transformed, he's, he's like, okay, okay, whatever. I'm taking the crown. We're married. It's it's fine. Go ahead, killer. Whatever. Like I'm the king now. I've gotten what I wanted. It it wasn't so much. We do get that uncomfortable scene, and I I'll be honest. I did not pay attention. I've seen this movie probably a dozen times. I had no idea until now. There's there's a clear implication that he's a uh, He's having a little personal moment. Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask you guys about that. When he asked yeah. the mirror to keep playing the like recording of her. Yeah. yeah. I rewound it and watched it like three times. And I was like, Brent, do you think he's doing it? And Brent was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. pitching yeah. a tent. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. For sure. he, he lifts his sheet and looks down. And I was like. And smiles. Wow. <laughs> I have missed that up till now. I mean, it is it his. Very little, subtle. His little love nest or whatever. He's got the zebra blanket and everything going on. 
So yeah, he is uh, he is disgusting in in many different ways. <laughs> he, he definitely made me this sound like I know there's the argument where if you bring it to Hitler, the conversation's over. But hear me out. Godwin. Um, he kind of gives that vibe of like a fascist that has so many personal issues like self-hate and issues that they projected out like the whole story is he wants to get all these like weirdos out of his kingdom but he is like an incredibly short man like he is a dwarf like he technically counts in the criteria for like kicking these fairy tale creatures out because he's so small so it's really interesting it kind of reminded me there were like rumors that hitler had jewish family members you know so made me think of that kind of mentality like he hates himself so much he takes it out on everybody else he's like the villain from moonraker that we just covered where (laughs) he wants the the whole world to be supermodels and it's like well man you're not a 10 right yeah poor michael lonsdale he's just (laughs) catching strays for no good reason but lord farquaad had access to a mirror so he has no excuse the Moonraker one was weird, though. It's like, hey. I like when she pushes down the, like, wedding couple. She pushes yes. Lord Farquaad down so he's <laughs> yeah. the right height. Yes. Yeah, yeah gave us gave us lots of good jokes of, do you think he's compensating for something? Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. He's riding in the his armor. Yes. Hickson is being much taller. <laughs> I actually remember my dad watched, like, went to, t- took me to the theater to see this. And the part where he said, do you think he's compensating for something? I remember asking my dad what that meant. My dad was like, um, I'll tell you later. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> I remember like asking him about it. I think I was like 11 or 12. So. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. John Lithgow said that's the height of comedy is, is doing something where the kids laugh and the adults laugh and they're laughing for different reasons. And so yes. he, he was big on the praise for this movie. And Shrek is a cameo fest. I think it gets deeper in the sequels, but we have so many different things. And one of my favorite lines is uh, Snow White, that although she lives with seven other men, she's not easy. (laughs) They've got a lot of those tear down the princess stereotypes. But did you guys have a favorite enchanted creature that appears in this film? Is there something that, you know, it's... It's something you loved as a child. And you're like, oh, I, I'm glad to see those. The three blind mice or Gingy. The, the blind mice amused me a lot, especially the part where he's like, is that you, Gordo? And he goes, how did you know? Because they're blind. <laughs> <laughs> and then the three little pigs, they were German for yes. some reason. I guess because the story is originally German or something. but German sausage. Yeah, it just made me laugh that they had a German accent. Yes. I think a scene that stuck out to me when I was a kid was when all the fairy tale creatures first initially arrive and then the seven dwarves push <laughs> Snow White's coffin yeah. on the table. And then, you know, so you, you clearly recognize that it's Snow White and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, where else are we supposed to put her? The bed's taken. And he goes and runs into the bedroom. <laughs> it's a big bad wolf. He's like, what? <laughs> I love when they put Snow White on the table, too. Like, no, 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 dead broad off the table. There's so many. And, like, they do the little three fairies that run into the tent at one point out of fear. And those are clearly 
I think it's Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether. Yes, from Sleeping Beauty. And I remember as a kid having so much fun calling out everything that I recognized. And I, you know, I still had fun doing that. You're like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme from uh, what? What is it? Wolf of Wall Street, where he's just pointing out things. Yes. There's a lot to see in that first scene. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the Big Bad Wolf. Like, he becomes a bigger thing in the sequel. But yes. I, I love the Big Bad Wolf in Grandma's Pajamas, just, and his <laughs> indignation. What? Yes. What? Yes, fantastic. <laughs> the, the dwarves are singing together, even even minor stuff like Tinkerbell. Pinocchio here, we don't get a whole lot from, but he's, he he's does. the second one, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does get his line, his nose grows, so. I And I like that they chalked him up to possessed children's toy (laughs) (laughs) like you're you're not a living thing just possessed children's toy and he gets tossed into the wagon so yeah i so many great things about this movie as far as cameos uh our our big twist every story's gonna have a good twist is that fiona her true love's form is an ogre and we hear a little self-hate can we talk about the messaging in this movie for a little bit? Because there's, there's a lot in the story, even in the original books, about being true to oneself and having love for yourself and who you are. And Shrek, through all its warts and farts and everything else that, that comes through, is really trying to hammer that home. Did it succeed? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, we all go through stages where... Maybe we don't feel comfortable with who we actually are. Um, we're actually going through these like personality assessments at work. I, I tested one on Lizzie, but when you go through it, it's kind of a good, bad, ugly situation. And like you learn things about yourself or you might have a propensity a certain way. And some people are really struggling with it. But I think there's, I mean, obviously Fiona would agree, there's freedom in accepting who you are. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we all go through struggling with that, you know, what we think of ourselves to be or what we should be versus really how we're happiest. And so I think that's a really large message of the movie. What am I working here with, Leah? You, you took the personality for Lizzie. Like, no. can, can you send me notes? What should I be aware of? Uh, it just basically said that I, I lack uh, I lack patience, which is something I already knew about myself. And then it compares that to like what you require in order to to achieve your day to day goals at your job, which my job is a stay at home mom, which patience is very much required for. Right. So I don't know what we're going to do about that yet. But <laughs> we, <laughs> it, her patience at. shot like through the roof between the two. So we had a good laugh about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, everyone's got their flaws. Mine, they told me, like, I can be perceived as superficial. And I was like, well, thanks a lot. That's nice. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you know who you are and you you work with what you got. Self-awareness is important. Absolutely. But I think what made this movie super cool is especially during this particular time, because really thinking about putting yourself back into your 2001 self we that was the time when you know social media wasn't around so you could you know totally make an argument for how it holds up today but at least for me that was the time of 
like Kate Moss and fashion magazines. Yeah. Paris and, Hilton, real thin. Exactly. Where it was like, there was only one definition of beauty. And if you didn't fit into that box, then you just were considered not to be beautiful. And I, you know, I'm five one, so I'd be more on the Farquaad side of things. <laughs> and I'm, uh, so I, um, but I had never really been exposed to, cause you know, you would see Disney movies of like, love yourself, love yourself. But you know, Belle is, you know, by beauty standards, very gorgeous. And all of, as all of the Disney princesses were. So it was, it's easy to preach about self-love when you yourself are a knockout. And so it was really interesting to see it done completely different where there's somebody talking or not necessarily outwardly talking about it, but somebody learning a lesson right before you about self-love and embracing and leaning into themselves that wouldn't be traditionally considered beautiful. So I feel like that was really interesting to see at that particular time. And it truly holds up because, I mean, we're all at the end of the day, you know, we're all messy and we all have, you know, whether it's patience or anything else, like we've all got things that we've got to lean into. And um, I totally agree with Leah. There's a certain element of freedom when you just lean into who you are rather than trying to fight it. There's an interesting line that Shrek says that I think kind of sums some of it up. So when he decides, when he comes back and he overhears the, the conversation that he misconstrues, he comes back with flowers and he's kind of talking to himself like, what am I going to say to Fiona? And he's like, I got you these flowers. They're they're pretty like you, but I still like you. you know, he says it kind of like, I noticed that almost yeah. being like, I like you in spite of the fact yeah. that you're pretty. Yeah. yeah. Which is yes. like turns that on his head. Right. Where we're, we were growing up as 11, 12 year old girls, like worrying constantly about looking pretty enough for a boy. Yes. 100%. Oh, see that that slow approach and the mumbling lines to each other. To himself with Shrek, I'm like, I feel this in my soul. I have been there. I, that's not a place I like to revisit. But it, that is an interesting perspective. That's something I never really considered. Lizzie is just the, the Kate Moss. She had that famous line, "Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels," which is she's a hundred percent wrong. Like, have you had lasagna before? Right. Serious cheese, question. Cheesecake. Any of I'm I made caramel pretzels. Ooh. Yeah. Right. Inanimous oh. excitement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's helpful. This is why we like having women on the show, because males, we're just going to take this. We're not going to consider that perspective, most likely. So that's awesome to hear. That's great to hear. Um, loving yourself. And for me, it's finding the people that aren't going to reject you or run away from you, that like the warts and the differences like Donkey says, I didn't treat you like that. I didn't treat you like an ogre. And mm. I think Shrek's looking at him like, oh, okay, this person this person might be my friend. And then Fiona as well. She gets to know him, and she has all the power. She's the beautiful princess. Yeah, she's got the dark secret, but she has the power in that relationship, even though Shrek's carrying her around. Like, she's the highest status of society. She could cast him out, and she doesn't. And I, I do think it's funny, with this movie, we wind up with two mascots. So Shrek becomes this huge, huge thing for DreamWorks. But weirdly, and I don't know if you guys remember this from your childhood, Gingy becomes the mascot for Walmart for a period of time. So, I do not remember that. I don't remember that either. The, <laughs> the little gingerbread man? Yes. With oh one leg? Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Yeah, so they... That's crazy. No, I do not remember that at all. I mean, I'm not surprised by that because he was so beloved. I mean, that scene is iconic. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me, but no, I don't remember that. Not like gumdrop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember we were watching that and Brent was like, he just ripped his leg off. He's upset about his buttons. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> when he stitches his leg back together, it's like yeah. pipe dicing. Yeah. It's so funny. That's... They have the, the glass of milk yes. like, as part of the torture. It's like such, milk boarded. Such a dark scene. I mean, Farquaad's playing <laughs> with his legs like, oh, run away. <laughs> it's really terrible, but yeah. You and, can laugh about it because it's a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> a sentient cookie. <laughs> yeah. I guess, but this would have been a little bit interesting. This movie started out kind of like Mary Poppins, where it was going to be a live action and CGI hybrid. I have mm-hmm. no no idea how that would have worked. Uh, like the Cats movie that blew uh, up in everyone's face. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is easily the scariest horror movie ever made. I stand by that. <laughs> But uh, and it was for the people that were in it because they didn't realize what was going to be done to them. Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Kassenberg, when he screened this for audiences, he said it looked terrible. It didn't work. It wasn't funny and nobody liked it. So Pacific Data Images, they helped get Shrek to its computer animated look. They went, we, we make fun of the fact that ants came out at the same time of Bugs Life, but what DreamWorks did is they hired all the people that made Ants and said, please help us make Shrek look good. And it winds up winning awards. So we get our CGI version of Shrek here, uh, which works out much better. This movie actually, in addition to that idea, they tried doing a stop motion. So think Nightmare Before Christmas, which would have been an interesting experiment. But they decided, hey, it's really expensive and time consuming to do that. How about we just uh, we we abandon that pretty quickly? So a lot of a lot of uh, multiverse Shreks. Maybe in some multiverse we've got a Mary Poppins version where Mike Myers is dressed in a terrifying ogre costume, a la Cat in the Hat. And we've got. Uh, oh gosh! <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Such a bad oh, movie. Yeah, the the movie that got all Dr. Seuss movies banned, like. <laughs> Like his family. Stuff of nightmares. For sure. His family just said, you know what? No, we're done. Uh, <laughs> let's. Speaking of alternate universes, we have a lot of alternate casts, and I just love going down through most of this. Nicolas Cage was initially offered the role of Shrek. He turned it down, though, because he said he didn't want to look like an ogre, that they take a little bit of your face and your personality and inject that in the character, and he didn't want children looking at him as an ogre. This is a totally Nick Cage thing to say. Do you want Nick Cage in this role? Absolutely not. He's a (laughs) vanilla, boring actor in the biz. I cannot stand Nicolas Cage, and it feels so good to say it. Oh, <laughs> so good. I'm oh. glad you finally got that off your I chest. really did. I do not like Nicolas Cage. Well, I feel like the Scottish accent, too, is like a touchstone of Shrek, and I'm trying to imagine Nicolas Cage doing one, and I'm hating it. Bland and boring and vapid and just not it at all. Tell you us were, how you really feel about <laughs> Nicolas Cage. You are breaking my heart over here. And oh, I, oh, you like there, the idea? There is... Oh, no, I I hate the idea here, but I, I like the idea of Lizzie being subjected to one of our fantasy football 
Punishments, which is called In the Cage, where you have to watch eight hours of Nicolas Cage movies. Back I wouldn't do it. You, I the, wouldn't... Worst, the worst movie I've ever seen was Mandy, that Nicolas Cage oh, movie. Oh, I had. love Mandy. Why? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> it is a weird movie. He's like, I can't defend it. I have I like tried it. so many times. I have tried at least three times to watch National Treasure and I am not lying every single time I fall asleep. To this day, I don't know what the treasure is. Like, is I don't know what the treasure is. Like, oh my is it pirate's booty? Is it, like, actual artifacts? I don't know, because I never make it. I always fall asleep right around the time where he, he, like, gets a replica of the declaration and, like, swaps it out. And every single time I just conk out. It doesn't matter what time of day doesn't matter anything. I just, I cannot get into it. My body just wills itself to fall asleep. To this day, I don't know what the national treasure <laughs> I don't know is. What the... Oh, no. Oh, no to all of this. So we love John Lithgow. Yes, I would, I would like to, I would watch National Treasure if it was anybody else. If it was John Lithgow. I would. I would actually really like that. Michael Lonsdale. You've been really hard I would, on him. I would watch it even with him. Yes, oh my goodness. I would. Okay. Well, with those eyebrows. You, you love horror go see color out of space and it's weird horror movie but go see color out of space and then let me know if that has sparked your love for Nicolas cage i will move on though because there's a lot of other fun alternate castings bill murray was going to play shrek with steve martin as donkey when steven spielberg was at the head of this very very different movie and i will say it's mike myers that injected this scottish accent that we've all come to know and love so it was going to be normal voices. It's uh, Nick, Nick Cage wasn't going to attempt, I hope, to do some kind of weird accent. I think he was just going to be Nick Cage as an ogre. Same with Bill Murray. That's an interesting one. Famously, this was Chris Farley. Chris Farley was actually hired on. He'd recorded almost all the dialogue, and he passed this away right before completing the movie. His brother was asked if he could stand in for the rest of the lines. His brother just wasn't in a place to do it. So they call up Mike Myers, and Mike Myers doesn't want to do it. He's a friend of Chris Farley, felt it was disrespectful, but eventually he takes the role. And Mike Myers, as we've covered in Wayne's World, is unpleasant to work with. He is very controlling with his characters. He says, I'll only do it if you do a complete script rewrite. And they do, and he does all of his lines. And then after they've recorded all his lines, he says, but what if I do it in a Scottish accent? And so they have to do it again. He had tried it in a Canadian accent and a slightly different version of his normal accent. That was what was recorded and finalized. The studio says it took another $4 million in animation. Had to redo everything. Mike Myers is consistently just, he's difficult to work with. But he's got a passion. He does his characters really, really well and they're fun. I can't imagine. Can you guys imagine a Canadian Shrek? No. no. They're too nice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, we're, we're all just, we're glad Mike Myers made that difficult and he came up with the Scottish brogue for Shrek because now it's just, it's an icon. Yep. I am too. I mean, he obviously had an instinct and it paid off. Yeah, Thanks for the extra $4 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Harkening back to, again, to our mystery men, Janine Garofalo was Princess Fiona. She was fired. She 
has never gotten a reason. She says she sounds like a man at times, so maybe that was the issue. This would have been her second movie in two years to feature All-Star, so I like that. Going to keep going back to that. And Alan Rickman, I think he would have been an excellent, fun choice. He loves being the bad guy. He's great in Robin Hood. He was the choice to play Farquaad, but he ultimately chose to play uh, Severus Snape. Wrong decision, clearly Shrek. Shrek is love, Shrek is life. (laughs) You know, uh, I don't know. I don't know about Can that. Can you chat. imagine that <laughs> butterfly effect, though? Of like, because I mean, Alan Rickman has a stamp on the hearts of all Harry Potter fans and will forever. But can you imagine if he chose not to play that and then somebody else chose Snape and Nicholas Cage? Nicholas Cage. Oh, <laughs> I would probably not watch Harry Potter. I mean, honestly, probably not. But I mean, what, that, what a nightmare! That would have changed the trajectory of his whole life. I mean, I'm. I think Shrek would have been cool, but selfishly, I'm glad that he chose Snape. Oh, he, yeah, he was perfect as Snape. I know it's not a Harry Potter podcast, which I could do, but um, so like he just Alan Rickman just has this like he does have a villainous voice, but it's like cunning and sly yeah. and mean. Whereas, yeah. like, Farquaad was more, like, insecure, like, little man syndrome, more, yeah. like, comedic and funny. And I'm not saying Alan Rickman wasn't funny. He he was great in Galaxy Quest, and he was the sad robot in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was funny, but he wasn't trying to be funny in that. But, yeah, he's, yeah I mean, he's definitely Lithgow, right move for Lord Far, Farquaad, for sure. He's definitely the best part of Kevin Costner's Robin Hood the American accent Robin Hood. We did cover that in podcast. Don't recommend the movie, but, but Alan Rickman's a lot of fun there. Uh, another voice that feels like it should be here and it isn't is Robin Williams. He was supposed to have a part in this movie, but, uh, he famously had a following out with, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg while working for Disney. There's the story of, Hey, we won't, you can go ahead and sign on for Aladdin, but we won't use your voice for other things. They completely lied to him and used his voice for promotions and other other different things that he didn't sign on for. So Genie's voicing I, I, different commercials and hawking things. Robin Williams famously got upset with him and said, I will never work with you again. And our, our Lord Farquaad, uh, Leah actually mentioned this before the podcast. So Leah, do you want to tell us who Lord Farquaad is? reportedly based on (laughs) yeah rumor has it and i think this is related to lizzie was talking about the creators of shrek they originally had started making a toy story version that didn't go well and they ended up leaving and creating dreamworks and making shrek and um, rumor has it they were pretty salty about disney and in particular who was at the helm at the time, Michael Eisner. So yep. they fashioned Lord Farquaad after Michael Eisner. I can see it. Absolutely. This movie really is in some ways like a giant middle finger to Disney. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It really is. Oh, yeah. It's taking shots at their princesses and everything else. Uh, I mean, he quite literally is reading Sleeping Beauty and then wipes himself with it at the yes. very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if that's not a metaphor to to give Disney a, a big screw you, I don't know what is. Yeah, and the the uh, the Dulac song is "It's a Small World," like it's yeah. the same mm-hmm. tune. So. Yeah, uh, honestly, Dulac looks like Disney World. Yeah, yeah, a very empty yeah. Disney World. And last alternate casting, we have Jim Lang, which 
younger viewers may not know who that is. He was the host of The Dating Game from the 1960s, and Jimmy Fallon, they both voiced lines for Magic Mirror, and that's huh. it's based on The Dating Game. But it eventually goes, as a lot of these roles do, to an art, one of the artists, his name's Chris Miller, so one of the animators and artists, a lot of them are joining in and joining into the cast. We do get Jim Cummings famously winning the Pooh, takes over a little bit for Scar in, from Jeremy Irons for the Be Prepared. Uh, he is the captain of, of the guards, but there aren't that many like, huge names in here. We kind of get that later on with the the future Shrek movies, I think, once we get the uh, the Shrek empire here get rolling we get more people on board but this is a pretty small crew this was actually our director here his name is uh andrew adamson this is his directorial debut and he mostly gets shrek to his name like he's shrek one two three shrek forever after puss in boots does do the chronicles of narnia as well um not very much else. He gets like Cirque du Soleil and Mr. Pip. I have I have not seen these. I, I mean, he came out of the scene pretty hot. So I mean, what else do you have to do? Yeah, I I will strongly accuse Vicky Jensen here. She she also co-directs and she does Shrek, but she does Shark Tale, and that is the that is something my wife loves animated movies, and so I I didn't know any better, so it's just like, okay, she loves animated movies and was not discriminating, so I took her to see Shark Tale, thinking, it's animated, she'll want to see it. That movie is terrible. So <laughs> Truly, truly, like, so bad. And it was right on the heels of the Ben and Jen divorce yeah. with Angelina Jolie, so just out of that, you know, Angelina Jolie was like a jezebel like fish and just in, in and of itself i couldn't get into it i'm team jen all the way yeah it's uh i i cannot weigh in heavily on that. <laughs> but, but yes yes an official scientific species jezebel fish but it, i will be on board with it is a terrible movie i we've we've danced around it we've briefly talked about it but I think something that makes Shrek stand out so much and what's so memorable is the soundtrack. Uh, so let's talk about the soundtrack a little bit. All-Star, it was a placeholder. And when they tested it and screened it with the audiences, they liked it so much that it was just kept in. Like, it's just one of those serendipity-type moments. Uh, I'm a Believer was added in because they wanted Smash Mouth to have something fun and end on a... Uh, just like a fun comedic trip at the end and both of those songs became huge hits it used old pop oldies and pop music on the road again try a little tenderness pina colada song small it's a small world so what did you guys think of the soundtrack does it stand out is this something that lifts up the movie for you oh it's an incredible soundtrack they've they've got great stuff i mean the, the score is too they have the like da 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 yes. da, which yes. is very iconic. They use that throughout the movie, and it, they do it in a great way. But yeah, the songs that you recognize. I mean, we were we were watching it, and this led me to do kind of like a little deep dive on Hallelujah because that was the first time I remember hearing it hmm. was that movie and that soundtrack, and it was a cover by Rufus Wainwright, I think. 
that story of that song is so interesting because it had existed for so long and not not super successful until it was covered and used in this movie and then there's like 300 different versions of it now right yeah we've got even kate mckinnon and snl doing a hallelujah version very very haunting very haunting performance after leonard cohen died and Hillary Clinton lost yes. the election. Yes. yes. She was dressed. I think she was cosplaying Hillary when she when she sang it. That song is so beautiful and so haunting. I always get confused, though, when it's on Christmas albums because mm. I'm like, have you listened to the lyrics? No. It's a very sad song. <laughs> it's a yeah. very, very sad song. But, yes, they the soundtrack in general is so good. I honestly think it completely elevates the entire movie, and it really – it just makes it so much more memorable. And I think that kind of, again, you know, we're used to watching Disney movies that are more musicals where there's songs that the characters themselves are singing. I think it just goes back into the fun way that they were able to be kind of like the anti-Disney movie where instead of Shrek and Donkey singing together about going on the roads and having all these songs, instead they're just going to put in really popular songs that the audience can sing along with that just kind of carry you from one scene to another. I just, it, the whole soundtrack is just brilliant. I think our parents appreciated a lot of those songs. Yes. Too. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Neil Diamond has a really fun story about this for I'm a believer. He said a bunch of kids were singing it after seeing this movie and he goes over and joins in and he's like 60 at the time. And they had no idea he was Neil Diamond. Now, <laughs> They're just like, here's an old dude that, for whatever reason, knows the lyrics to the song and is singing in. So he had his little moment there. And moving on from our soundtrack, I think we have to get into it. We've danced around. Our movie superlatives. Best part of the show. Part that we look forward to the most, starting with our MVP. Leah, can you hand out our first major award? Who is your MVP, director, actor, supporting actor for Shrek? I sure can. I really wanted to pick something off the wall for this, but I I know he was difficult, but I got to hand it to Mike Myers for this. Like Absolutely. He, he was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. His vision definitely made Shrek the character we remember today. It's so good. Lizzie, is that your pick? You know, it's not my pick. I, I went a little rogue, but my MVP for this is, Smash Mouth. <laughs> I, put that I, for supporting I love that. I love that. I, MVP is Smash Mouth. I literally wrote it right here. That's I have so funny. I just think that Smash Mouth really, I think a part of why this movie was so epic is because of the song All-Star. I just think when you think about Shrek, it's synonymous with thinking about Smash Mouth. and It makes you want to kick doors open. Yes, exactly. And it's just, it's, to me, it just it is the perfect just duality of Shrek with with Smash Mouth. So I, you know, I got to hand it to them for for making the movie so epic. OK, I love that. Smash Mouth has been all over the place in our podcast. They've been in our change one thing for the rat race concert at the end. It's like, eh, is this is this really necessary? So they have elevated themselves to MVP here. I went, yeah, shout out Smash Mouth. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I love the boldness. Leah, I, I had to agree with you. Mike Myers, 
difficult as he can be, he is a visionary. Like, he knows what he wants, he gets what he wants, and his characters are so memorable. So there's there's love and passion behind the madness, and the end product is always something enjoyable from uh, Wayne's World to Austin Powers. He's just, uh, we'll excuse Cat in the Hat, and maybe Love Guru, I don't know. I, I, might be able to... I think that too needs to be excused for yeah. sure. Uh, he's... He needs to come back to the Austin Powers franchise. I need to be able to forgive him a little bit. But so, <laughs> we'll move on to our best supporting actor, Leah. I think you've said you said it. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I had Smash Mouth written down for best supporting actor. I mean, it could also be MVP. But like Lizzie said, their contributions to the soundtrack, they just, the echoes are still heard today. Again, I know every single word to All-Star. Oh, we I, all do, whether we want to or not. I have to sing it if I hear it on the radio. Agreed. You just can't help yourself. It's like those TikToks that they play where they'll play sounds and then try the challenge is to not sing along. Yeah. And that Smash Mouth would be the one where we would all lose. You just cannot help yourself. Just like the part, we all need a little <laughs> change. <laughs> yes. So Smash Mouth was fine. Nice. Nice. Lizzie, who's your best supporting actor? I put John Lithgow. I just think he's such a wonderful villain. I put, uh, you know, he's just, he's funny. He's unself-aware, which as a villain, it kind of adds to that comedic effect for him. You know, he's so deeply insecure and he's just so hilariously pathetic (laughs) that even though he's doing things that are deplorable because he's kind of, he, he's so pathetic as a person, it just makes it funny. And I, I, he's just a genius. I think only John Lithgow could really marry all of those things together and still come up with an awesome bad guy. John Lithgow, we're asking you for an origin story for that villain. We would, we would pay yes. lots of money to see yes, that movie. Yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> He's a fan of the show, so I will, I will give him a call. Okay, we'll have him you, up. You, you call him up. You let him know. I'm, I'm giving it to our big fan, John Lithgow, as well. He's almost giddy in this bad guy role, and I just love hearing and seeing him on screen. So John Lithgow, anytime, any place he shows up, love him. Hidden Jim, Leah. Um, the sound designer for the dragon. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, Go nice. on. Deep cuts. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a deep a, cut. That's a deep cut. I actually, sure. I, I listened to this dragon. podcast called 20,000 Hertz and they talk about sound design. Uh, really good podcast if you're into that, but they went into one where they talked to sound designers that did things like that. So they interviewed the person that did the dragon for, um, Game of Thrones and the like what she went through to like create that sound was actually like a lot of work. So that made me appreciate kind of like the Foley artists, you know, people that do that, the background noise yes. and the sound designers for things like that. They, they put a lot of work and care into what they do. So that's solid. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to make a recognizable sound for a creature that's never existed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for real. Make it sound like a dragon. Sure. Lizzie, who's your hidden gem? I put Jim Cummings because I think the whole purpose of this movie was, again, as we've said before, to be the anti-hero, but I think also to give a subtle middle finger to Disney. And because Jim Cummings, he's Mr. Disney, you know, mm-hmm. he's in almost every single Disney movie 
and as some kind of voice. And so to have him also in this movie is kind of like this extra wink of like, haha, we got your guy. <laughs> He's Winnie the Pooh, yes. <laughs> yes. I I had to go with Thelonious. He is the executioner. He's the one Thelonious that's... Thelonious monk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Number three, number three. Thelonious monk was really funny. Yeah. He, he is... He's just my favorite background character. He doesn't really have lines, but he's just... He's got an awesome look, and his pantomime <laughs> actions... Yes. Just fantastic, especially at the end at... Uh, at Farquaad's death, he kind of just quickly shifts sides, and he's like, okay, moving on with Shrek now. We're on this team, and he's uh, piping the billows at the end to help uh, pipe the organ for I'm a Believer. So, Thelonious, you're the man. Recast? This is kind of tough, but uh, Leah, who are you recasting in this movie? Um, I want to say I struggled with this a lot. So I thought about it, I would recast Cameron Diaz. Oh. Yeah. Part of it, I think, is the writing. So maybe not her. But I think she could have brought a little bit more color to a lot of the dialogue and stuff she said. And I I struggled for a long time. I was thinking about her contemporaries. Like, who could I recast that makes sense? And I struggled a lot. But I've been watching Big Mouth. And I think that Maya Rudolph actually would have made a pretty interesting Fiona. Hmm. Okay. But then you don't get the Sir du- Justin joke in Shrek 2. Yeah, the yeah. Sir Justin. <laughs> oh, yeah. That made me laugh when I saw that. <laughs> we can't lose that. I love my Rudolph, though. That's a great suggestion. Lizzie, who are you recasting? So I thought about Robin Hood and how I would like to recast him because I love the idea of – I love the whole Robin Hood sequence. But I feel like, honestly, just having this annoying French guy was, I think they could have done so much more with that particular scene. And one thing that I love about Shrek is we've already talked so much about it. You know, the movie itself is kind of meta. You know, it's a very self-aware movie. So I think it would have been cool, instead of a stuffy Frenchman as Robin Hood, to have a current 2001 heartthrob as Robin Hood to try to swift her off. And he's, you know, kind of, you know, Lord Farquaad isn't a heartthrob. So let's put somebody in who's like a Sir Justin, if you will. But I chose Freddie Prince Jr. uh, Because this movie was kind of coming off of, uh, I think She's All That was only two years old at the time. So in a lot of ways, he was probably still on a lot of tiger beat covers exactly you'll probably have a lot of posters myself included and you know i think uh, i think that would have been a really cool scene if he was just like this complete heartthrob that you expect her to be wooed by but instead just beats up okay mr sarah michelle geller himself freddie prince jr right <laughs> i I just wanted more distinct voices in this movie. I don't know that I'm singling anyone out, but maybe a princess or something and give it to Fran Drescher just for comedic effect. That would have been amazing. I I think it would just be funny if one of the princesses during the mirror mirror scene had Fran Drescher's voice. So... (laughs) I actually thought about Megan Mullally for the princess, but I was okay. like thinking of her as Karen and Will of Grace, and I was like, man, I don't know if we can make a, make it through a whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. She's very cackly. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, give her a minor role. Give her like a stepsister role in the future. Yeah. Uh, best shot. Leah? Uh, so this movie was the first ever to win an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. And I think the scene, you know, where they're escaping the dragon together really shows that. Just the animation itself and then how they change the different angles. Like there's the part where you kind of, you start to look from Shrek's point of view when he's going down this big branch and he hits himself in the crotch and and they did a lot of like panning and stuff. And it was just, I mean, if you think about how CGI was working back then, it, it was very impressive. Yeah, there are a lot of beautiful shots in this. Lizzie, what'd you pick? I put, um, there's a scene the night that they make camp, Fiona sleeping in her little cave for makeshift, uh, her makeshift little hotel room and Shrek and Donkey are talking and the camera, or if you will, like the animation is meant to be where it's, um, Shrek and Donkey, their backs are turned to you and with this big moon in the background. And to me, that just felt like, a still that could be on the poster for the movie. It was just such a sweet little shot of the two of them. And in a lot of ways, that's one of the first moments where Shrek is finally has let his guard down. And so that scene in itself kind of has a lot of representation behind it as well. I thought they did great. Yeah. Straight out of the Lion King of you can see in the stars or the clouds. That's right. <laughs> like there's your ancestor donkey, the small and annoying it's Gabby. <laughs> yes, Gabby the donkey. Uh, for me, I Shrek and Fiona, when they're dining at their respective tables, it's after they've separated, there's the misunderstanding, and it's, it just kind of spins and it shows, fades out and shows Fiona at the right side of this proper table, and then it fades into Shrek's little hovel with him at the left side and it just goes back and forth fading between the two and it really does a great job of kind of conveying how miserable they both are with their decisions so i thought that was particularly beautiful there there are a couple even the slow panning shot to donkey looking inside of shrek's home like we don't know that it's donkey at first but there's the fire and shrek's eating and it pulls back and it's this very long shot uh, there's there's a ton of good early work for a movie that struggled to find its uh, footing so kudos to them for this best scene leah i'm selling such a child <laughs> but the part that got like a huge laugh for me was when shrek's trying to save donkey from the dragon the dragon and he's going that's my tail that's my personal tail and he kind of falls <laughs> and she's going in for a kiss and he falls and his pants fall out but she like kisses him on the butt i don't oh. know why that one got me pretty good so i'm gonna give that a shout out right here that, that is, is unwanted physical <laughs> that whole scene was done so well there's clearly like the smog influence there's a whole bunch of uh gold surrounding i had to look at at release dates of things because it looks like they're in the mines of Moria. Like yeah. it, it's very, it came out afterwards. So Shrek didn't steal it. They just got very, the Lord of the Rings stole it from them. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a uh, Peter Jackson Shrek thief. So, <laughs> we're on to you. Lizzie, what's your best? I put scene? the interrogation scene between mm. Farquaad and the gingerbread man. To me, that's just like the most iconic scene from the movie where, you know, it's like 
where where are they? He's like, fine, I'll tell you. Do you know the Muffin Man? <laughs> the like, Muffin Man? The Muffin Man! <laughs> yes, I know the Muffin Man. <laughs> it's just so funny, and it's hilarious how they're able to weave in a fairy tale because, you know, that conversation, he's like, oh, yeah, who who lives on Drury Lane? And right. it's so there's just such a a funniness to the fact that you know you can understand and you're in on the joke and but and he's you know you, you said he earlier he's playing with his legs so it's also really dark um, but you can laugh at it because it's a cookie so it's <laughs> um i thought that scene was iconic that is fantastic yeah that that whole it's almost like an abbott and costello bit oh for the muffin man muffin man uh for me, I, I'm a wrestling fan. There was actually a lot of care that went into the Champions Challenge at Farquad's Court. The tag team action is stunningly great. And there's this... What puts the cherry on top for me is there's an old lady that starts screaming to get the chairs. And yeah. if, in certain wrestling events, this happens. It's usually get the tables, but there's an old lady saying get the chair, which is fantastic because he then gets a chair and hits them. Uh, the whole scene just leaves me with a big smile. So stupid, stupid action scene, throwaway scene, but stuff like that. It it shows there's a there's a little care and thought even for meaningless throwaway scenes. So yes. love it. Best wardrobe or makeup moment in a CGI movie, Leah. I struggled with this just because it was animated, but I guess I could. This could go for many movies where there's uh, shape shifting. How do her dresses still fit? Oh mm. yes. <laughs> sh- where do I get one? She Sister to the traveling pants. I, kind of <laughs> I watched that movie. That was that was a charming movie. I was it surprised. It's charming. It's a great word for it. Yes. Yeah, but the, this was definitely She Hulk's Taylor. So yeah, uh, yeah. Lizzie. I put the big bad wolf's grandma outfit because Excellent. I I think it uh, that scene arguably wouldn't have been funny had it not been for that. Yeah, if it was he wasn't in the bonnet. Exactly, yeah. but the fact that he decides to wear that whole just like what <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And I remember my brother and I just cackling over that when we were kids. We thought it was absolutely hilarious to see him dressed up like a grandma and like you said they kind of redo that in the second one and the prince is he's too late but he's going to the highest room in the tallest tower thinking fiona is going to be there and again it's right. <laughs> the wolf yeah. the same like what it's it's just such a funny bit yeah yeah that's i've i cannot get enough of the big bad wolf for me i went with a very simple touch it's genji's candy cane Kane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he hobbles in and he does the tiny Tim. God bless us, everyone. And it's <laughs> it's a fun addition, and you're happy to see Genji again. It's like he's it's gonna work out for him, and he's How gonna be. How did get a, out of that trash can? That's what I want to know. I. Somebody had to have taken. Yeah, someone had to yeah, him out. Had some pity on him. Yeah, uh, felonious. Thelonious Monk. Clearly, yes, that was definitely him. <laughs> Helped him out like they went too far. Change one thing in this movie. Leah, what are you changing? So this is kind of nitpicky, but a lot, like a big portion of the story, and this happens a lot, hinges on this gross miscommunication between the two characters, where if they had, like, said just one more thing to each other, 
Yeah. This, and it, I mean, I don't know what I would change it to, but it often feels to me like lazy writing. That's every romantic comedy. Yeah. It's every romantic comedy. And it's, it just is kind of dumb because like, I'm not going to storm off in real life and be like, I'm not going to, or I'm not going to be like, I can't believe you think I'm ugly. You know, and they're like, wait, what do you mean? I don't think you're ugly, you know? So they don't, it just feels a little lazy writing, but obviously they had to get a movie into an hour and a half. So I'm going to let it go. Yeah. You realize how confrontational you are when you watch people behave that way, because you're like, I would just, you just like, you hear that conversation, you wouldn't like walk away and you'd knock on the door and you'd be like, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> you got something to say? Yeah. Let's let's talk <laughs> about my do. face. Yeah. And then right then and there, she would see her as an ogre and like problem solved. And yeah. it would be a very short movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lizzie, what are you changing? <laughs> I just wanted more Lord Farquaad. I would mm-hmm. have loved if they showed just because uh, again, I I think I had touched on this a little bit. You know, you just don't get enough of him to really understand what he's about other than he's just like this little insecure man. And I would have loved to see kind of more pieces of that because he's just such a delicious character and he's so funny. And I, I just would have loved to do more origins and backgrounds of Farquaad. Again, John Lithgow, if you're listening, mm-hmm. yeah. we're, we're yeah. ready for the villain origin story. They Thank really you. should make a prequel all called Farquaad on how he came <laughs> over. <laughs> little Farquaad's. Yeah, little Farquads and all of how he came to to be a lord, how he came to power. I I love the lowercase letter F as his emblem. Yes, so. becoming Farquads. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, for me, I I talked about some of the things that don't age very well. It's very minor, but the stupid freeze frame Matrix style shot they do for Fiona. Oh yeah. Like when we saw this movie, it was fresh off the matrix and you're like oh that's kind of fun the matrix but it's done to death now and otherwise the fight scene's actually pretty great we talk about robin hood probably dying like <laughs> just just yeah. speed up the jump kick between the two instead of doing the stupid freeze frame tilt camera thing just have it be a regular jump kick and kicking them and move on with the action keep it rolling don't need to parody the matrix I agree. So, dumb change, but nevertheless, best quote. So many great ones. Leah, what did you choose? I mean, I thought about the ogres are like onions and the parfait thing and the muffin man. I mean, so much of it's very horrible. Yeah, but, um, you, I mean, everyone who listens to this podcast, they're going to think I'm an absolute child. But the thing that I thought was funny was when they're approaching the castle and they could smell the sulfur, Donkey goes like, ooh, Shrek, you're going to have to warm me before you crack one off. My mouth was open and everything. <laughs> and I laughed an unreasonable amount at that. And Brent looked at me and he was like, really, that's the first thing you laughed out loud at? And I'm like, yeah, sorry, it was funny. It never stops being funny. That's fine. <laughs> Flatulence is funny. Let's yeah. just all like, let's just. <laughs> My mouth was open and everything. <laughs> blazing saddles will never stop being funny. <laughs> It's time that we all just admit it and stop trying to be so grown up. (laughs) (laughs) My best quote was um, right before the duel, Lord Farquaad is announcing to the people, kind of preparing everybody for the duel at the very end. He goes, some of you may die, but that is the sacrifice I am willing to make. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> that's when and I laughed out loud, like could not stop. I thought it was that sums him up. It is so great. I I love that line so much, and you stole mine. Aww. But that's that's fine because that's the correct answer. But I am going to go with Jinji then, where he's being threatened in the torture scene, and Farquaad says, "Tell me where are the others," and Jinji just goes, "Eat me!" <laughs> and it's just a fantastic. There are so many great ones here. I I just love even simple lines from Donkey where he's like, let's do it again for the uh, Dulac song when they get their... Yes. The picture of their faces when the yeah. song over, the like complete perplexion on their faces is so good. But Shrek is like kind of like, what am I watching? And Donkey is like just so amazed and delighted and like yeah. <laughs> so great honestly re-watching this as a parent now you can kind of see the the relationship that like Shrek has to donkey sometimes can be and this has been a part of my test that Leah gave me where the patience comes in it's like sometimes I feel that where it's like your kids like let's do it again let's do it again you're like no 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 let's just we're gonna move on <laughs> right your kids insult you and you point it out and then they're like, that's a nice boulder you got there. I love that. Boulder. That's a nice boulder. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we've handed out our rewards. It is time. Zero to five stars, half star increments. We're going to rate 2001 Shrek. Leah, we'll start with you. What are you giving Shrek? Five out of five. Five out of five. Re, like rewatchability, anytime. Incredible movie. Hilarious. We just recounted just quotes from the movie and we're cracking up. Like a great movie. Absolutely. Lizzie? So this is the first time I've done this. I'm gonna give five out of five as well. Wow. I I think it is virtually a perfect movie and I just Every single, I mean, I, even thinking about this movie makes me laugh, and it has, like Leah said, I mean, she said it perfectly. It's rewatchable. It's fun. It's heartwarming. It's nostalgic. And honestly, today, like, it holds up. I mean, there's memes. I, I think the one meme that I think is the funniest is there's a meme of Shrek with the caption of "Now that I'm an adult, I can appreciate why Shrek wanted to live alone." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, there, it really still has a placeholder in our pop culture zeitgeist i mean it's it's perfection yeah shrek has definitely become a meme okay two five stars pressures on me uh, this movie it, it's weird and it, it maybe it means that i'm the ogre in my own relationship but my wife and i kind of bonded over shrek movies when we first started dating uh, up until then, like I said, I really wasn't a big animated movie guy. This was kind of my gateway drug. Uh, from Shrek 2, Accidentally in Love, it's weirdly meaningful to us. Uh, our our story is, uh, it was a complete accident. It worked out. So here is my heavily biased five stars, giving it a five-star sweep. So. Consensus across the board. Is this yes. the first time this has ever happened on Retro Movie Roundtable? Like five out of five all across the board? Oh, no, no. My uh, my dealer's choice of Beauty and the Beast with two other men swept five stars. So I was very nice. proud of uh, Russell and Brian for that. It's you know that's fair, though. That is fair. That yes. is a work of art, that movie. It is. It is. I was very scared. Brian Fry hates animated movies. But even he has to bow down to Beauty and the Beast and say it's a perfect movie. But, yeah, 
It, it, this is rare. I love it. It's a great movie. Leah, thank you for bringing it up, shortlisting it. I can uh, release my grudge against Russell. That is huge. That's like two plus years of anger. All released through Smash Mouth All-Star. So within the first somebody, it was gone. Gone. So Russell's I'm happy, grateful. I'm happy I could facilitate the, the emotional healing that yes. you needed. <laughs> yes, there is. He, he is the donkey to my Shrek. So <laughs> Lizzie, do you want us to help me pick a movie for next time let's do it right you are a good person for this it's time to get romantic and for our romance we are going back to the 40s these are all romantic comedies the descriptions on imdb do not sound funny at all so but they are romantic comedies we're going to start with to be or not to be from 1942 during the nazi occupation of poland an acting troupe becomes embroiled in a Polish soldier's efforts to track down a German spy. Again, romantic comedy. Option two, the shop around the corner from 1940. Two employees at a gift shop can barely stand each other without realizing that they are falling in love through the posts as each other's anonymous pen pal. Option three, His Girl Friday from 1940. A newspaper editor uses every trick in the book to keep his ace reporter ex-wife from remarrying all right so i think i'm gonna go with the movie that has some degrees of separation from one of my favorite 90s rom-coms you've got mail it's got to be the shop around the corner okay all right we are heading back taking the way way back over 80 years so can't wait shop around the corner 1940 check it out and then join us next week for the episode Thank you, Leah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lizzie. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you guys to reach out. We want to hear from you. Please subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And remember, producing and providing this podcast is fun, but it is not free, so we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is very, very much appreciated. It goes towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Lizzie? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming.